Welcome to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. This is a show about how to build an esports business from literally anywhere in the world, where each week we showcase the journey of one inspiring esports entrepreneur and learn how they solved a particular problem that everyone will ultimately face. And now, to your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I'm definitely not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. The goal behind the podcast is to hear from esports entrepreneurs around the world, to hear their stories, to learn how esports can create jobs, and to hopefully inspire others to do the same. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. Today, I'm honored to have John Cash, founder and global professor, JCSU Gaming and Esports Initiative at Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the United States. In addition, he's the Chief Development Officer uh, at Community. I'm gonna ha- I, he's going to explain to me how I pronounce that uh, in Atlanta. Now, we've seen successful educational institutions at, at all levels beginning to offer curriculum and programs designed to train students in this emerging industry. And one of the leaders has been John Cash and his work at Johnson C. Smith University. Welcome to the podcast, John. First of all, thank you very much, Tom, for the opportunity and look forward to our conversation. And hello, everybody out there that will be listening in. Yes. And one of the things I'm going to ask you right now is, how do you pronounce community? CX? Yes, community. It, it, that's how it's pronounced as community. Really quickly, Gaming Community Co. is a 501c3 nonprofit headquartered in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. HBCU graduates, Ryan Johnson from Oakwood University, Chris P.A. from North Carolina Central University are the founders, uh, co-founders, and they basically tagged with me two years ago on the development. The reason why it's spelled C-X-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y is that the X is the only character that is represented on your controller as well as your keyboard. So community, it sounds, it says, it's pronounced community, and it's just to um, to really highlight inclusiveness in esports and gaming, and that's why we have it. That's 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 the representation behind the the app. I knew I knew that there was a story. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. So, um, first, can you just give your your a little bit of, of your background and how you got to esports? One of the things I noticed in looking at your background, doing a little bit of research here is I see you've worked in the military, you've been in business, you've been in education, you've been in nonprofits. And the common thread I see here is service. You just give a little bit of a background of how that service led to esports? <clears throat> sure, Tom. And that's really interesting that you did pick up on that. Um, something out here. Uh, I've always been about service and, and innately, knowingly or unknowingly. So I grew up in Washington, D.C., attended Howard University undergrad, University of Texas for my MBA was an Air Force officer until I got injured. Um, I'm thankful to be able to always pursue my passion and my passions change and evolve over time. The way I got involved with esports gaming, upon moving from Atlanta, Georgia to Charlotte, North Carolina on a professional um, experience with a company, um, there's a HBCU, the only HBCU in Charlotte is Johnson C. Smith University. One of the ways I like to give back, Tom, is by education and giving of my services and time. I was recruited by Johnson C. Smith because of my background as a businessman, as well as sports and entertainment. 
In addition to launching the first HBCU esports gaming program, I also launched the first collegiate sports uh, initiatives for Learfield IMG at the time, and also Van Wagner Sports Entertainment. And that's really basically multimedia rights sales and marketing for college teams, which of course, basketball and football are the cash cows. So after doing some research, after being in sports entertainment and doing research, I, you know, and being a gamer myself, primarily a old Madden gamer and NBA 2K, I did some research just, you know, unbeknownst and found out that at the time there were one over 150 predominantly white institutions in the United States that had some type of esports program, a team, a curriculum, or some type of lab. And at that time, up to January 2020, zero for HBCUs. So again, this is a huge opportunity that individuals are losing out on. As we know, Tom, the esports industry alone is a $1.7 billion global industry projections for 2022. And gaming is over a $200 million, $200 billion global industry projections for 2022. So I saw the opportunity to introduce this to HBCUs and at Johnson C. Smith, developed a business and marketing plan, submitted it to my dean, presented it to the president, and they really liked it and they could see the opportunities that this could provide. One, educationally, additional students and opportunities, and two, career opportunities and broadening the opportunity of interest at Johnson C. Smith. So they approved me, but of course it was, all, oh yeah, we don't have any money for you. So <laughs> we bootstrapped the program as best we could. But in January 2020, after about eight months of research and presentation, we launched the first HBCU esports curriculum club team and an esports lab and training center at Johnson C. Smith. I think what, what, what the, no, this is great. We're going to go into all kinds of detail here. So, but one of the things I think come to focus is, well, two things. One is it, when you talk about there are 150 um, higher, in, uh, higher institution, higher uh, education institutions that had esports programs and none in the, in the HBCU universe. And, and you saw something, something there. And, and it, it's just, um, now it, it, I, I just think that that's amazing. One of the things I want to talk about here is what is HBCU? Because our sure. audience is, Sure. We have yes. a, a large audience in Africa, in India, in the Philippines, and it's growing all the time. And one of the things that, you know, in the U.S., uh, people are, you know, some people more than others are familiar with what HBCU sure. is and how it fits into the, the whole, um, the whole, um, higher education universe in the U.S. But I think it's, it's pretty unique to the U.S. and, 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 is in a special place. And so if you could spend a little bit of time explaining what that is so that the international audience sure. has a better feel for it. Yes, of course. Um, again, blessings and praise to all my uh, international audience that will be listening to this. I'm thankful for your uh, uh, su supporting this podcast. So HBCUs here in the United States stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Why were they formed? Of course, the U.S. has approximately 402 years of uh, oppression to the African-Americans as long as we've been here since 1619. After the Civil War in 1865, the U.S. government set aside initiatives for education for Black Americans. One of those initiatives was to develop high uh, institutions or colleges and universities of higher education. It was the start of this separate but equal program, but it was really separate and unequal. 
And that led to development of colleges and universities by land grants, private donations, and other opportunity. There are approximately 101 HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities in the United States. And to give you a picture of that, really, I would say 80% of them are from, think in your mind if you know the geographics of the U.S. pretty well, take it from Philadelphia all the way to Texas and then all the way to Florida. I call that the triangle. In that triangle are probably 80% of all African-Americans. And also, if you look at the statistics and research, approximately uh, 75, 70% of African-Americans live in that area also, southeast, eastern seaboard, and then the south. So that's the history behind um, the founding of historically black colleges and universities and the continuance of these institutions of higher learning today. I myself am a graduate of Howard University in Washington, D.C., and of course, our vice president, Kamala Harris, is a Howard University graduate, um, vice president of the United States right now. We have a lot of notable individuals that come. One that my African brothers and sisters might recognize is Andrew Young, who was the first black UN ambassador and did a lot of work in Africa, especially South African, and is currently married to a South African sister. No, I think that, no, that's really a good, uh, a good introduction there to people that aren't familiar. With that, uh, with those, with uh, HBCU institutions. Now, there's about, uh, let's see, I was doing a little research on uh, H. Uh, Johnson C. Smith. There's about 1,600 students there, it looks like. So, can you, are there certain challenges that you see in the esports world at HBCU institutions that, that maybe doesn't come up at other institutions or, or is gaming gaming? I feel the biggest opportunity for HBCUs is that. Uh, to get contemporary and thought in regards to opportunities to grow their institutions. HBCUs in general tend to be a little more behind, and that's driven by the fact that we don't have the funding, the infrastructure, and the continued support as a lot of predominantly white institutions do. So where we're looking at infrastructure support and keeping on the lights, Predominantly white institutions are able to take course in STEM-related fields and other futurist activities, as I say, within um, this area. And when I'm talking futurist, I'm talking about meta web three, gamification, blockchain technology, how you leverage crypto and NFTs, NILs, things that are in the future. As we all know, approximately 80% of all future jobs will have some type of technical component to it. So the opportunity for HBCUs is Usually you have, they want to see it proven before they invest in it. But at least that's starting because I launched the first program at Johnson C. Smith in January 2020. But by fall 2022, there will be approximately eight other HBCUs that will be up and running with some type of esports curriculum, club team, and or lab. I, I, I just think it's interesting to put this in perspective when you're talking about you know, January of 2020. That was not all that long ago. I mean, it's just right. uh, in, in the scope of things. I mean, there's tons of things that happened since then that are outside of the scope of esports. But uh, it, we were talking to, for example, we we're talking to uh, Mitch Esquera, who's the CEO of uh, Galaxy Racer out of the Philippines. And it was just like Galaxy Racer is like doing things like they were like, they've only were formed in two years ago. And they're, I think one of the things that to always keep our mind, our, our, our mind on is how quickly things are are moving here 
one of the things I liked in, in, uh, w- w- one of the things I wanted to ask you about was how did you get this program, um, approved? And the reason that I'm asking that is because maybe there's someone in our audience that's thinking, Hey, you know, it would be nice in our local university, in our local higher education mm-hmm. system to t- start talking about having these programs. And I'm not just not quite sure what, how I would go about doing that. What, what advice would you give them? Sure. Um, again, there is no I in team and teamwork. So believe me, this was not just John Cash doing this. My tip of the spear, as I like to call her, is Dr. Bernadette Lawson Williams. Dr. Lawson Williams is a tenured professor at Johnson C. Smith University and dean over the sports management program. She actually understood the vision, the opportunity, and we collaborated because think about it. She, I'm an adjunct professor, guys. That means, again, I have my own business. I work corporately, but I'm also an adjunct professor, meaning I'm not a full professor because I'm basically part-time. But I have a passion to teach and to help and to serve and to grow. So Dr. Bernadette Lawson-Williams was the, my tip of the spear. She helped with the administration, the advocacy opportunity, and getting us the audience with the president and, and board of director uh, in interest to show what this opportunity can mean for Johnson C. Smith. And lo and behold, now we have a program and we have a minor program. That's something I didn't say, Tom. Right now we have a minor program in esports and gaming at Johnson C. Smith University. So Dr. Lawson Williams was the tip of that spear. And of course, nothing would happen without the president, our president, uh, Clarence Amberster, who again, I think his background, he has a background in law as well as a background in business. So I don't think he was as compartmentalized, Tom, when it comes to thinking outside the box versus someone who might be an institution or higher education their entire life. I could be wrong, but I would end this is that you would have to leverage for advocacy, whether that's a dean of the program, board of directors, president, someone of influence that can help you share this message and opportunity. And oh, by the way, I'm a consultant too, so I would love to share conversations with individuals on how you can develop and activate program. One thing I'm going to share also, Tom, I'm not going to sit here and say all universities need an esports and gaming program or curriculum. I feel that there should be gameplay opportunities and lab opportunities and educational opportunities. I'm not going to sit here and say that everybody should go out and build a minor program. So it's on a case-by-case consultative basis. But for Johnson C. Smith, I'm very thankful in what we've developed um, here and been an inspiration to others. Yeah, no, that's really good. What are, when you're talking about, okay, you, you found an audience, you found a, a, a cheerleader, you found someone to spearhead within the organization, and you found the right audience to be talking to. What kind of presentation, what did you tell them that sports bring to the organ could bring to the school that got them over the finish line? Um, I'm, my background includes a lot of brand marketing. I've, I've been brand marketer at Procter & Gamble, General Mills, Coca-Cola. So I'm, uh, I'm a market researcher and I, I'm passionate to market researchers. I bow down to them. So you always want to start off, I think about it as like any other business, fact-based analysis and trend in, trends and insights. This one message I think was the most compelling. Approximately 82% of Black Americans 18 to 24 are gaming on a weekly basis versus 73% for white Americans or general population. 
yet Black Americans make up only 2% of the esports gaming industry here in the U.S. That came from the International Gaming Association statistics. I also leverage research from Pew Research and other research foundations that show average salaries and that you don't have to be concentrated in STEM or STEAM to have a successful career in esports gaming. Um, the industry needs salespeople, marketers, market research, HR. So a lot of the other areas of interest are available. So that is how I formulated the opportunity at Johnson C. Smith. Of course, they were skeptical because they're looking around and saying, well, there are no other HBCUs out here doing this. So <laughs> what did I do then? I shared that with them successes and relationships I started to develop with some of the top um, institutions in the country with, for esports, esports and gaming education, including University of, the University of California, Irvine, and Miami of Ohio, arguably two of the top five esports uh, gaming institutions of higher education in the U.S. And so with that type of support, um, that helped me basically win the audience over on the opportunity. And did I mention again, we bootstrapped it? So I did not come to them with money. It was up to me to really understand how we were going to develop and activate the program. So how did you finance it? Um, several different ways. This is a, I'll try to keep this one real quick. We had approximately $30,000 of unfunded opportunities from a government grant that our computer science department used to secure computers. We shared with them, with them what they were doing, what we were doing with esports and gaming. And oh, by the way, if you let us acquire, if you share this $30,000 so we can acquire additional uh, equipment, we will make sure that your computer science and engineering students have the opportunity to participate in esports gaming outside of the general audience. That was one thing. We have a relatively new STEM building on the campus of Johnson C. Smith. Very beautiful building, probably seven years old. And there was a, um, there was a, there's a probably about 600 square feet of space in one of the rooms that was not being used. So we, you, we said, Hey, can we use this as our e initial esports lab? Look, look and at just, just, just sorry to interrupt. Look at the smile on your face. It's like <laughs> when you found that, that, that space in that room, you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have that. Right. So we secured that space, Dr. Lawson Williams and I. So now we have computers and equipment. Now we have a facility. And then I just started calling. I called different organizations. I called um, different companies in the uh, in the industry. I was able to secure headsets. I was able to secure chairs, gaming chairs. I was able to secure monitors and other things to at least piecemeal together our uh, esports and gaming lab. Then I started working on curriculum. We wanted to have at least five classes eventually focus on esports and gaming in different areas. And since we really focus on management and sports management more so than the technical area, we wanted to make sure that when we're teaching courses and opportunities, this will help and lead to positions um, within the organization. And then lastly, partners. Tom, the one thing I'll share with the audience, you need to have education partners, the university, government partners, whether it's country, state, local, and last, the business community. Now, our business community consists of companies as well as sports teams. And I'll give you a great example. The Charlotte Hornets, which is an NBA team, has an esports team called the Hornets Venom. 
They saw what we were doing. I shared with them, and we've developed a strategic partnership. It launched last year, which included a $10,000 scholarship for one of my students. In addition to that, they helped me with curriculum. They provide unpaid internship opportunities to my students. But what type of experience are they getting, Tom? They're getting experience in media. They're getting experience in production development. They're getting experience in programming. They're getting experience as shoutcasters. So now that experience also is inclusive on their college education. So those are some of the components, some of the things that we did. And then get with association. Here in the U.S., we have NASIF and NACE. Um, NACE is for collegiate. And then I networked and talked, like I shared before, with other institutions and universities um, for support. So those are some of the things we've we've done to really advocate and to build out what we have. What I keep hearing here is resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, to create a program, especially the first program, you don't have a uh, blueprint to follow necessarily. Yeah, no blueprint. So, you know it, what? Which, That's good. I'm going to use that. No blueprint. Which, which is, you, which is a, a, a good and bad thing. It's like you get to set your own rules. You get to create it how you want it to be created, which is no... No small thing. You're talking about what I liked reading about was the trifecta when it yeah. comes to uh, your education. Yeah. You have the curriculum, you have the club, and the lab. And I wanted to talk yes. about these in a little bit more detail. You're talking about the curriculum. For the curriculum that you've created there now, how does it fit into the curriculum for the school? Is it a separate major? Is it supplemental classes? Or how does it how is it structured? And Very where do you question. see it? Yeah. Where do you see it changing down the road? <clears throat> what, what what are your goals there? Uh, presently, again, it is its own specific minor, and it's a complement of existing courses and new courses. So the goal would to have approximately five of the seven courses be all esports gaming specific. Right now, it's four. Um, <clears throat> we're at, well, it'll be four in the fall. We started off with one. Last year, we had two. This year, we have three. In the fall, we'll have four of the five. And they include introduction to esports and gaming, um, program and production management of esports, business trends and insights in esports, as well as uh, content creation um, in the esports space. And then in addition, we have marketing courses, a marketing course and a sports management uh, course that help complement it out. And then internship. We would like all of our students to have at least two internships. And as we continue to develop relationships in the industry, that's happening. I already have two students. Well, within the first year, I had five Riot internships. I had two Twitch internships and a Microsoft internship opportunities for my students. Great. So those are the type of things. And so what the future looks like is really dependent on the university. Universities have their own goals and objectives. We're still in the midst. A lot of people want to say we're coming out of the pan, uh, pandemic COVID, but we're just learning to live with it, I would have to say. So think about it. I launched all this at the beginning of a pandemic. It's still ongoing and we're learning and growing as we can. But lastly, regarding universities, universities have their own goals and ob- objectives. I don't know if esports gaming will continue to be, you know, will, will be a primary. Right now it's something they want to test. They want to see what happens, the growth, but at least we know we have a minor program. We want to continue to sustain and grow our minor program. And if successful enough, and the university looks at this as a a great opportunity for all, maybe a major program. So 
So, and I'll end with this one, just you guys have texture. So for JCSU, um, Johnson C. Smith is in Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina, arguably, is the number two banking center or banking city in the United States. We have all the major banks here and regional banks. So therefore, a lot of the emphasis is on financial, financial hub, and focus. <clears throat> so fintech is really huge here now. <clears throat> JCSU has relationships with a lot of the big banks and now has a partnership for fintech. So that's the focus. We also have a new um, medical uh, hospital that we be, not, I mean, medical school that will be built in Charlotte. And now Johnson C. Smith is going to be partnering with that. So that's another opportunity. So you see what I'm saying? If we have this opportunity with esports and gaming, that could be another opportunity. So I wanted to share that with the audience because you need to understand the lay of the land at your respective universities and where the priorities are and what you're going to have to do to develop a compelling argument for opportunities for esports and gaming at your respective institutions. Now, I think no, that sounds really, really uh, a smart way to approach things. I like hearing you talk about all the different kinds of jobs that you're training people for. A lot of times people think of esports as, um, you know, being a professional gamer, being a player. And that's kind of the whole thing, which, you know, but uh, one of the things we like to talk about here are all the other jobs, which are like 99% of them right. that are in esports um, that are kind of behind the scenes. So what kinds of jobs do people coming through your program, what kinds of jobs would you see them going into because of the education that they've gotten through this program? Sure. So one, we'll start off with marketing and sales. Within introduction to esports and business trends and insights, we're teaching about brand marketing, sales, opportunities. And so that is one. So think about yourself as being a broad associate brand manager. Associate brand manager, say, on an Activision Blizzard team or within the business development department of Activision Blizzard where you're going to call on customers. Another opportunity could be in programming. We do have computer science um, and engineers that are part of the program. Uh, so now they can leverage their programming skills in addition to the complement of the esports gaming courses to go and work for a Twitch or to go and work for an EA Sports because they've gained those skills and those opportunities. We also have, a again, a business uh, management school at JCSU. So if you're in finance and you're a finance major, well, People always got to keep the books, regardless of whatever type of industry that you're in. So we want to make sure we share all these other opportunities. And then there are some specializations like shoutcasting, which is basically broadcasting. And they're getting experience now, like I shared with you before, with the Hornets Venom. They get the opportunity to really view and participate in the development of what the daily um, life is like and have activities that they can use in an internship opportunity. So when they're going to interview, now they have a reference in regards to the type of work that they've done. So again, there's a plethora of jobs and opportunities, Tom. I just wanted to give you some examples of more technical ones and more right. traditional opportunities. I, I think one of the things to, to paint the picture a little bit here is what a big deal it is to work with the Hornets. I mean, I mean here in the US, I mean, that's, that's the, that is the big leagues. 
So for you to, to, you know, for your students to be able to work with the Hornets, that is a really big deal. That's experience that they would be able to go anywhere in the country and, uh, and it would, it would be, be something good on their background. We're going to talk a little bit about costs here. Now it can be pretty pricey to go to school these days, uh, in the United States. Um, can you give me a a, kind of give the audience kind of a feel for how much it costs? I'm not asking for specific numbers necessarily at, at, at there, but how much, do, how much are people paying for uh, higher education? And there are also their scholarships now showing up at eSports, right? Correct. So in the United States, um, we have several different um, forms of higher education. We have trade schools and technical schools. We have community colleges. Um, we, all, we have... Um, and then we have four-year institutes. And to be quite frank, costs can range from a couple of thousand dollars a year, maybe, to the most expensive colleges and universities, the Harvards, the Dukes, are probably in the $80,000 a year range right now. You have everything else in between. I'm a dad. My daughter goes to school. Her tag right now is $53,000 a year. I don't have to pay for it all, but um, that's just to give you an idea. No, that, so, that's, I, I remember going to Stanford. I, I went to Stanford as an MBA student. So I only had right. to pay for two years there. And this was, this was a long time ago. So it was, it, it was a lot less than it is now, but I used to, we used to go through registration and here's all the students who are going there for four years. They're paying the same thing that I'm paying, which I'm going to have an MBA job in two years. So, you know, that's a little bit different, but I just thought, man, think of the, the parents that are writing those checks all the time. So it can get really, really pricey. Sorry to interrupt. Well, again, price and cost is relative, right? You're a multimillionaire with $80,000 a year. I, yes. I mean, that may not be in nobody's pocket, but you know, it's all kind of relative. But in regards to paying, of course, you always have loans, you have grants. I espouse to research. And similar to you, Tom, um, when I got out of the military, again, I was a um, service disabled veteran. I had the GI Bill as an opportunity. That's one of the vehicles I used for paying for my MBA. But hey, I went out and got MBA scholarships. I got two MBA scholarships, one out of Dallas market, one out of Houston. I was part of a consortium graduate program and the University of Texas where I got my MBA was a member of that program. And so I got their scholarship. So <clears throat> basically, quite frankly, I was pretty, I was, uh, financially, I was pretty living high on the hog as a as a grad student, uh, so I really yes. can't complain. You're gonna, but, you should, th- there's the book you should be writing right there. You know what? Memo to self. But, um, <laughs> it's like um, so that's part of my journey to get my MBA at the University of Texas, and I had a fabulous time. I visited several institutions before I went, but to get back to students, their families, and they want to go to college. Yes, first of all. Research, research, research. I'm going to give you guys an example. This is a book I still use for my daughter. What does that say? Ultimate the college scholarship book. Look yeah. how thick that is. But that's the type of research. <laughs> Remember, this is an audio podcast. Oh, I'm sorry, it's audio. But <laughs> yeah, <you> know, no. <laughs> I have a book, guys, that, that I'm looking at right here. The Ultimate Scholarship Book 2020. Billions of dollars in scholarships, grants, and prizes. If you're doing your... The due diligence, in most cases, you should not have to pay for your entire education. There's scholarships and grants in all different areas. It's just a matter of research. 
One of the things I espouse to is we have the internet. You're just a Google touch away or a YouTube touch away from learning anything or experience anything you need to do. So that would be the first thing. The other thing is that, yes, there are scholarships being offered now for esports and gaming. None at the HBCU level yet, but a lot of predominantly white institutions do have scholarships. So I think that that could continue to change and grow. Right now, it doesn't. But that's what I would, that's what I would share with you guys. You, you have work study program. You have, um, opportunities based on sex or, or, or what have you. Um, so again, just do your research. That's what I'm saying. If you research, I guarantee you there will be dollars out there and you will not have to pay, if anything, for your college career. If, uh, not a lot. If anything, that is. That's good to hear because I think sometimes the costs scare people away. Yes, I, I totally understand the cost can scare, but I, I'm I'm adamant about this, guys, because I don't want you to forfeit your future. No, I don't want you to go into debt. Who wants to go into debt? There's yes. a lot of school debt here in the United States, and they actually, our politicians start talking about waiving X amount of school debt because it stays with students so long, it inhibits you from doing other things like purchasing a home or starting a family, or purchasing a car, or where you work. So I want you guys to really look at researching now um, while you're in middle school or grammar school or what have you, not waiting to the last minute. Yes, that's, that, that is good advice. I want to talk a little bit here about, you brought it up earlier, I want to talk in more detail about diversity. You were talking about the study that showed that, uh, let's see, the study that I was looking at, that was probably the same reference. It said um, that black teens are more likely to play video games than their white counterparts, and only 2% of the game developers identify as black, African-American, African, Afro-Caribbean. But in this article that I was reading in EdTech Magazine, it says, however, with the advent of esports leagues at historically black colleges and universities, an important shift toward inclusivity has begun. Do you think that shift is taking place? Yes, it has taken place. Again, again, you have to be proactive. We're kicking the butt, we're kicking the can down the street and I'm glad to be part of that tip of the spear. I'm very thankful for that EdTech article. I think I do have it. I have to look at it. But the fact that we've developed a program that is successful, that my students are getting internships, that that's going to lead to full-time jobs, that the industry recognizing it, that my students are in four different leagues we have. One of the top being the Gaming Community Code League, which is the HBCU League. Why do we have a specific HBCU League? Well, for my audience around the world who might not be as attuned to the United States, there's still a lot of racism, sexism, anti-LGBTQ, misogynistic in this country. Maybe no different than other parts of the world, uh, but amplified here. So there was a lot of racism and sexism um, being, you know, thrown at different races and groups of people or sexes just based upon people's melatonin level or their sex. And with the HBCU Esports League that was developed and created, again, by Gaming Community Co., Ryan and Chris, we wanted to at least have a haven for HBCU students to play. We're so excited now. We have over 300 students on our, our Discord. We have 40 of the 101 HBCUs in less than two years, part of our league. Guess what? Wow. We're giving away scholarships. We're building out esports lab on institutions, including my alma mater, Howard University. We're identifying internships and offering internships in less than two years. 
So those are some of the things that we're doing to grow um, and to really push diversity and equity and inclusion. And the beautiful thing is, is that people understand, regardless if you are racist or sexist or anything else, let's get to the brass tacks. If you're a businessman, research has shown having a diverse workforce and diverse executive staff uh, coincides with a higher stock price and higher business performance for your business, okay? So you can be a racist or sexist all you want, or do you want to make money? There's a moral side to this and a business side. Hopefully your moral side and your character will be highlighted to it. But if you're a, a business executive, what are you doing properly for your shareholder, for your customer, for yourself? You like those numbers, don't you? Well, again, the world is fact-based generated, Tom. And, no, no, and you know I what? Research bulletproof. And the way I like to make myself bulletproof is making sure I do my proper research and documentation. Yes. The other thing I wanted to talk about uh, or bring up was um, your work with veterans. Yeah. Are you working with veterans? Yeah, look at the smile on your face. Uh, working with veterans in esports. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing there and uh, what, what you see the value is in that? Sure. Um, yes, I'm an Air Force officer veteran. That's actually how I finished Howard University is through an opportunity um, with uh, that. And again, I've always had a sense of service. I really appreciated being able to travel the world, really getting appreciation of people. And that's the biggest opportunity. I know I'm going off track, Tom. No, no. The dude, biggest opportunity go, go. for for people in the U.S. is to visit other countries and other people. We are all people. We are all God's people. We're, we're no different. We all put our pants on the same way. And if we just get to know one another, we will really appreciate and identify all of our similarities and, opportun and opportunities we have versus our differences. But to get back to the Veterans Initiative, yes, I'm a, I uh, basically sit on the board and also help manage a couple of Veterans Initiatives. The most exciting one is Bunker Labs that I just was assigned an ambassador. Bunker Labs is a national 501c3 veterans organization that supports veteran business owners, whether you've been in, in business for a year or 20 years. Our goal is to provide support uh, for that area. And now I'm a Charlotte ambassador, which means I'm just assisting our next cohort or class of veterans who are coming through this class in areas to help them and help them with resources, provide them resources to improve their business. But within uh, the esports gaming realm, there are already several branches of the well, all branches of the services have some type of esports presence already. Tom, the Air Force, Army, Marine Corps, Navy, and Coast Guard all have initiatives going on. But me personally, I'm just trying to be an advocate. I haven't really been able to engage. You know, it's based on my bandwidth, I just haven't engaged on a specific um, military or service related initiative, but I hope to do so. I hope to do business with them. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I want to do. But at least that shows, you know, uh, the opportunity out there. So although I'm not advocating it, <coughs> I do let people know. I should say I am advocating. I let them know what I'm doing in esports and gaming. And I hope there's opportunities that I can provide and support to continue to amplify the opportunities within esports and gaming as camaraderie, socialization, business opportunities and growth. And what about community there that, you, that your organization in Atlanta? Yes. Gaming Community Co. Again, yeah, founded we, we, by two. 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. We talked about it a little bit uh, at, at the beginning, but I, I just wanted to have a little broader picture. Sure. Of, and again, one of the things I always try to talk about is how did these things come about? Yeah. Because it's like always talking to people. It's like, hey, that'd be really neat. I'd like to do that, but I don't know how to do that sort of thing. You know, I don't have any blueprint. I don't have any, any guideposts. And of course, everything is going to be different for every person, but it never hurts to hear the story of how it started. Down some stuff here. Sure. Um, again, I met Ryan Johnson, one of the co-founders of Gaming Community Co. approximately three years ago. We were both talking to a mutual associate at with the city of Atlanta. Um, this gentleman was a Howard University alumni of mine, and he brought me in for a, a basketball sports initiative and then started talking to me. I started talking to him about esports and gaming and educating him, and he was interested. And he shared that Ryan, another gentleman had told him, had been talking about it and said, you guys need to talk into me. So we met maybe in January 2019 and started to work. And try, I'm trying to understand what success looks like to him. And he shared with me some things. And at this time, community wasn't even a 501c3 yet. He just had a concept of what he was doing. And at the same time, I was doing the research and starting off the initiative for what would become the first HBCU esports program at JCSU. Doing a lot of research, trying to understand what I have to do, working with Dr. Lawson Williams. And so fast forward 2020, um, December 2019, 2020, uh, Gaming Community Code was formed. How was it formed? This is getting back to, you know, how do these things happen? It was really Ryan's and Chris's passion and drive. Again, Ryan is a graduate of Oakwood University which is in Birmingham, Alabama. And Chris is a graduate of North Carolina Central University, which is in Durham, North Carolina. They became friends. They had been friends for a while before all of this and said, hey, we still have the same type of passion. And what is that passion? To help K through 12 and HBCU students by empowering them through STEM technology, leveraging their passion and love for esports and gaming. That's basically how Gaming Community Co. started. And then the networking started and, and we developed an initial program called Tech for COVID back in May 2020. That goal was to raise funds for HBCU students to do remote learning. 25 of my Johnson C. Smith um, athlete students received computers so they could do remote learning. We were providing hotspots over the course of Tech for COVID, which was over a, a weekend. Think about a Jerry Lewis virtual telephone, Tom. We raised about $20,000 to allocate. That led to the attention of Twitch. Twitch saw what we were doing. And we started to developing, at that time, we were developing the education portion and thinking about a league portion, how we developed the league. Because when I was developing, you know, launching esports gaming, I'm like, hey, we need a league. We need opportunities. So then by September 2020, we are developing our education piece. We have a nine-week and nine-month program now for K-12 and a league, which has grown to 40 schools. And we even, and with our Twitch partnership, Twitch was selling sponsorship. For, so Verizon was one of the um, companies that came on. It's just like selling sponsorships <clears throat> and media package for your football games, soccer games, basketball games. And then that first year, we had 14.4 million views, unique views. Our, our league ran from August 2020 to May 2021. That next year, this past year, even better. Ran from August to May 2022. 
We had DoorDash, Verizon for a second year, Nike, and our uh, our viewership was up 8%, 15.5 million unique views. Verizon was so impressed after the first year, they got us an audience with their foundation, which led to a $1 million grant that was issued wow. during E3. That $1 million went to five institutions, Morgan State University, um, Delaware State University, Howard University, Dillard University, and Texas Southern. Each got $200,000, $100,000 for an eSports lab built out on campus, five $20,000 scholarships for female students pursuing eSports initiative and careers. So again, organic growth, Tom, we're thankful for everything we had, but we put in due diligence of having what I think was a sound vision, goal, and objective to help us drive strategy, uh, vision, goals, and objectives that helps drive our strategies um, and activation of the program. And oh, by the way, we probably have about eight full-time employees now and four interns as a 501c3. That's really good. I mean, that- being able to go out there and create something that didn't exist um, before that, um, that that can make a huge difference. One of the things I hear you talking about there that I kind of wanted to highlight is when you're talking about going out there and getting sponsors and getting these, these really significant um, amounts of money, you are talking to some of the biggest brands there are in, in the U S in the world. And one of the things I think in a, a lot of places in the world it's like there, there are similar types of organizations out there. And, and, and they, and if you're, if you're in one of those markets, you know what those are. What I'm saying here is here you can see an example of a group of people getting together and going out to some really big companies to get money and they were successful at it. So there's no reason that you can't have those same kind of goals, no matter where you are in the world. Just give it a shot. The, the one thing I, I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to keep talking. One thing I wanted to ask you about that you brought up that I'm really curious about is multimedia. When you're talking about universities, it, I mean, it's just well known that so much of, you know, of the university budget is made up of sports media rights. It's just, it's crazy sometimes when you look at the numbers uh, that are uh, that are brought in and the power, and I don't want to talk politics, but the power of the NCAA in, in, uh, being a part of that flow of money. And I was really curious to learn more about when you're talking about esports multimedia rights and how you, what is it that you teach there to your students? And where do you see the future of that going? Is there, is there a future for, um, for, uh, big revenue streams there? Yes, I think it's going to mutate and grow all the all the same. Yes, the e- NCAA's uh, edict, and again, for those who don't know, the NCAA is yeah. the National yeah. Collegiate Athletic Association. Everyone, so that is the association that manages all college sports in the U.S. So there would be some type of uniform in it, un- uniformity, and that's for four year institutes. So they're like a governing body to help set presidents there. Regarding multimedia rights, in the United States, guys, again, college football and basketball is king, meaning that it's relatively easy to sell multimedia rights, which is advertising, sponsorships, promotions, 
So, you know, um, when you're going to a live game and you see a Coca-Cola ad or you see a special halftime show or something sponsored by Procter & Gamble, that's what sponsorships rights are because what is their goal? It's to advertise in front of their target audience so you guys get purchase more and more things. And so impressions are the amount of time that you see things. And there's already emotional and psychological studies and engagement that shows X amount of impressions or presence can impact your purchase decision. So multimedia rights is about buying those type of impressions, advertising, everything else to drive your business. And, and I see the future continuing that. I see, for example, Meta Web 3 as a vast new land that is going to be leveraged by business, traditional businesses, colleges and universities and everyone else has already been done now. What is that little black rectangular thing that you carry around all the time? How much business do you do on that on a daily basis? So I I see this growing even more. I just see more revenue uh, avenues of access. Again, Meta Web 3 being a huge one. And of course, now you have crypto and NFTs and other ways that you can purchase uh, opportunities. As far as colleges and universities are concerned, they still want that money. You might wonder, well, where does all that money go to that they, they raise? Well, it goes to the athletic department. And again, football and basketball are basically helping subsidize all those other sports because not too many people are coming to see women swimming or, you know, the hockey, the lacrosse team. Yes. They're coming for football and basketball. Then where else do those funds go? They go to building opportunities at the institution, whether that's physical structures, whether that's new programs. That's where it goes. And of course, a big chunk also is going to coaches' pockets of these successful programs. But you really got to look at it. If Alabama, for example, for everyone who may not know around the world, The University of Alabama is probably one of the most successful college football teams over the past 10 years. Nick Saban, the head coach, um, is the is the reason why he probably gets paid nine million dollars a year uh, to coach Alabama. And people like might say, oh, that's not really worth it. That's not too much. But when you walk that campus and you see all these new buildings, that's driven by the attention that Alabama is getting. When you look at their uh, registrar and how many more students are coming to Alabama because of imaging, that's because of him. So I could go on and on about this subject. I love it. I'm still engaged with um, people in the industry. But that's just a little bit of top line regarding where I think things things are going with multimedia rights um, in the future. And yes, esports will be a part of that. People are trying to figure it out right now at the college level on how to monetize esports and gaming. I think that that's a good role, a good model to follow, to look at traditional sports and see where, you know, how it's working in that world and to see what can fit into the esports world in the collegiate um, universe. Um, but also to be, you know, to think outside the box as well. But if, but if someone's already figured out a way to attract money, it's like, hey, let's go figure this out first before we go out and try to uh to uh to create something that uh that someone's already invented hey i i could just keep going on in here i don't want to take your whole day so we kind of wanted to wrap up here where okay. can people learn more you you've talked about a lot of different things and in the show <laughs> notes for the um 
for the episode. I'm going to have a ton of links in there to all kinds of things that you'll send me. But uh, where's the best place to get a hold of you if they want to if they want to see what what you're up to online? LinkedIn is that the best place? Are there other places? Sure. Yeah, LinkedIn, John Cash. You just Google me; I'll come up there. Um, Johnson C. Smith University. You can Google the university um, and call me there. Um, my uh, email addresses. The first one is the Narma Group, and I can just give that to you, Tom. But it's jcash at the Narmer, N as in Nancy, A, M as in Mary, E, R, group.com. Also visit Gaming Community, guys, www.cxmmunity.co. Just you, .co, you, no can you, .com. Can you repeat that? Because that's what that, that screwed me up. Yeah, on the CX. Top. So, CX, CX, not CO. No, that's CO. CXMM. N I T Y dot C O community. Right. So it's yeah, probably we'll... www.community.co and it'll come up for you. And so that's another one. Gaming Community Co. We're headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm located in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and then also LinkedIn is the best way to get me. My social media platforms, I'm out there. John Cash underscore Narmer, N-A-R-M-E-R is my Instagram. My Twitter is John L. Cash. Um, so those are other ways that you can contact me. Great. We, we're going to put all kinds of links down there because we want people, because because like I said, we're not talking, in fact, you, you're probably the only person in season one here, uh, the Gamers Change Lives podcast that we'll be talking to this in the United States, but because of your unique stories there, uh, wanted to definitely um, in, in include you in the program. So our audience is, is primarily um, outside of the U.S. And I uh, want to do is- business outside the U.S. So yeah. you guys can call me to consult regarding the U.S. market. You can call me consult regarding colleges and universities. Uh, I was actually had an opportunity to be on some podcasts last year and, programs that were international. One is the International Esports Association, which you guys might want to check out. But I, I look forward to sharing conversations and business and education um, initiatives around the world and, and leveraging what we've done in the U.S. And those in the U.S. market, please feel free to call us up. I think that we have things. Don't just think about this as a diversity inclusion. Think about what we've done as a business success story that can be applied across your own platforms. We just don't just do diversity and inclusion. Of course, that's very important, but we transcend that. Uh, that That is a great message to to end on here. We need that to wrap up again. Thank you, John, for uh, for spending a little bit of time here. I invite everyone, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow us on social media. That way you'll be notified when we launch our next episode. We have some really good guests, just like John, coming up. And so you're not going to want to miss it. So thanks again for listening. This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks, John. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, audience. And I look forward to hearing some from some folks because I'm up to learning too, guys. I do not know everything. Great. (laughs) No, far from it. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Thank you.